Welcome in, welcome in, welcome once again to Three In, Three Out. I am your humble host, Clinton Bonner. You're entering the unique world of a Seahawks podcast recap. And joining me today, the co-host, the co-host with the mostest, of course, we're talking to Brandon Schultz. Brandon, what's going on? Clinton, it's uh, it's been an interesting week so far. I think we're recovering from the loss. Uh, you know, a lot of expectations around getting another win at home and going to three and zero. But it was not in the cards, and we're coming up to face the cards. As it turns out, it it does it does as the world turns. It turns out right. So, and it was it was a frustrating loss. And now that it's a couple of days later, I don't know. I mean, I know you were there, and I know that you guys were kind of getting. Uh, getting covered with rain and all, and all that, all that jazz. Um, for me at home, it was a, it was a, clearly a frustrating game, but I don't know. I got done with it. And I was just like, you know what? We, we, it's evident. We beat ourselves. They didn't do anything that particularly good besides give the ball to Camara, who just was very hard to tackle evidently. But besides that, like we just, we just beat ourselves. Like if we, just, if we clean that mess up, we win that game going away. So it's like, yeah, I can be mad for a little bit. And it's disappointing to lose a home game, but it's early. We're 2-1. You know, I just, I, I want to put it behind us. And, and in the sense of, you know, I don't think it's that detrimental of a loss, seeing that it is early in the season. We got plenty of time to make it up. I look at two games that we maybe should have lost earlier. And then we lose a game that we probably should have won if we would just play clean football. We didn't. We get the loss. Like, what what can you do? So how are you feeling a couple of days, a uh, couple of days on now? I'm... I'm still thinking I, I still feel like we should have got the win there. <laughs> the, the number they could not have made more mistakes in this game. And I guess that helps with choosing a lot of outs uh, in this particular game, because there's I don't know how you're going to narrow it down to three. So I'm <laughs> I'm curious to see how this goes. Yep. And, and of course, those those who might be a first time listener to this three and three out, you know, I'll say at the at the at the onset here. People are going to maybe expect if you, especially if you're tuning in for the first time that we're going to talk about the Carson fumble and the Carson slipping. I'm not going to choose those because that's kind of what everybody's been talking about all week. And, and, you know, where's Carson's place and he, is he still RB one? So putting those aside, the, the bottom line is Carson's got to protect the ball. He's not doing a good job with that right now. And that's, that's just the way it is. So, but we like to dive into things that are maybe, maybe a bit, uh, well, certainly a bit different than what, than what the the mainstream media is is certainly looking at, and even even the, the podcasters that are out there that are discussing the Seahawks uh, the Seahawks takes. So I will, you know, we have that rule that when we win, we start with an in, and uh, you know, it definitely kind of sucks that when we when we there's, there's nothing that rhymes here. It's just that we lost. So 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 we're gonna start with an out. I don't know. There's I don't know. I don't know if you can't a, even rhyme. That's yeah, how bad it is. Exactly. It can't even be fun. It's got to be just gotta start with an out. So so let's let's do that now. Let's start with our our first out of this Saints versus Seahawks game. All right, Brandon. So one thing that stood out to me throughout the game and I was having a hard time reconciling this is like, are we a better team with more on the field or are we a better team with less more and more DK on the field? Now, I know that more got that, you know, he had a nice catch early in the game to, to move the chains. Besides that, the first thing that stood out to me was that I didn't think that our offense was as strong with less DK out there and more David Moore out there. And I don't know how that, that might've played out for you. I'm not sure if, if anybody, if you picked up on that or any of the flockers you were hanging out with, but overall I, I felt that the wide receiving core all of a sudden got a little too crowded. We were trying to play too many people. I know it's Moore's first game back from injury, but I wanted to see more DK 
And at the end of it, I think we're actually a less dynamic team when he's not getting as many snaps. So that's my first out is like, man, I want more DK. I want, I want that dude to get more chances. And I think with more in the lineup, he's actually getting less now. Well, I just looking at the snap counts on this, Clinton, I'm a little bit surprised to see that despite I, I know because it felt that way, too, that DK didn't necessarily have the targets. You know, there was I look at that fourth down play where Ugh. Russell Wilson was thrown to Malik Turner and DK Metcalf was not on the field on that fourth and one. Yet Malik Turner was, I think, Jerron Brown. Uh, it was either Brown or I know Tyler Lockett was on the field and it was either. So it would have either been Brown or David Moore in that particular in the in the number two receiver role. So DK not on the field, but looking at snap counts in the game against the Saints, DK 71 snaps, 85 percent of the snaps. And then you go just back to the previous game in Pittsburgh. He had 88 percent of the snaps, 69 uh, total snaps. So it wasn't necessarily that David Moore was taking away snaps from DK Metcalf. I don't know if it was Malik Turner either because he only had 20% of the snaps against uh, against Pittsburgh. So was it different formations? Was it uh, Jerron Brown's snaps? Definitely um, Jerron Brown's snaps were also the same too. So it must have just been the different alignments that they were going to that allowed David Moore to get in there for 20 snaps versus not having him in against Pittsburgh. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just a feel thing. You know, the, the, the numbers are there's there's nothing jarring in those numbers whatsoever. And, you know, Moore did have a have a at least one nice catch. But it was it was just a, for I guess it is just a feel thing for me looking at it, I'm like, I just did not feel that DK was involved enough in this game in terms of just his presence. Maybe it's the targets, maybe. And maybe it's just, you know, Jerron, Jerron Brown's out there quite a bit. And like you said, going on fourth, fourth and one, throwing the ball deep to Malik, which which was questionable at, at, at best. And I just felt that, you know, we just didn't have that that second go to guy like we had in the weeks previous. And DK was just dampened. And for me, that was just a big, a big change. And I just didn't feel like it was a change for the better. I thought we were less effective is what it boils down to. I thought we were less effective in this game. And it just felt to me like DK was removed. And again, maybe the stats don't, don't play it out, play it out in terms of snap counts, but in terms of targets, in terms of times that we get the ball to DK's hands, it just felt like that whole wide receiving unit had had kind of less effectiveness. And for me, that was kind of my first out there. It was like, I really want to see. I think less is more here. I think we have our two big dudes with Lockett and DK. And then, of course, you sprinkle in Disley and you have you have other guys you can go to. But I just felt like stepping back from this, DK did not get enough touches here. And, and to me, that was the first out. Yeah. And even when you go into, gosh, it wasn't until I think four minutes left in the game in the fourth quarter where Jerron Brown had, you know, just two targets and I think it was for negative yards and he didn't actually, and he, he finished the game with six targets, uh, only three catches though, and about 30 yards. So I would have definitely liked to see those targets that were going to Brown going toward DK. Yeah. I think that's basic. I think that's the, the summation of it is like just, just retargeting those, those, those targets that are going to Brown and potentially more too, and saying, well, what if, what if they, those were DK's, what plays out differently. And I just think we're a better team in, 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 if that's the case. So like to see them get back to that. Hopefully in, you know, Arizona, a couple of days, DK has, uh, has more opportunities and, and we have a different outcome. All right, Brandon, we're going to flip on over to the more fun side of the ledger. 
And we're going to look, we're going to examine some of these ins. And again, we're going to get, we're going to get some hyper specific things going on here. So I, from, for at least from my vantage point at home, we didn't get a lot of, uh, it didn't seem like we got a lot of pressure, obviously no sacks, right? So Ziggy didn't have that many, that many snaps. Clowney seemed to be a little less effective. We weren't getting that much push. Like Quinton Jefferson was maybe the most, uh, most consistent guy out there, which was nice to see. But overall, I will say this, like I felt that when we absolutely needed to get a big pressure. So we're talking third and 14, we're down 27 to 14. It's about 1120 to go in the fourth quarter. And when we needed to get pressure, when we had to break through and get somebody in Bridgewater space, the dude who did it was Clowney. That specific play, that third and 14, you go Mm -hmm. back, you go back and watch that play. He gets off the ball so well. He is in Bridgewater space in like half a second where he's got to fire the ball early. I think either KJ makes a play or makes a tackle right away. And the Saints got to pump the ball. Now I realize we lost the game and I get all that. But at that point, there's 11 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. We're only down by what, you know, we're within a striking distance. They're down 13 points and we're getting the ball back. And it was because of a big play by Clowney. And, and at, in that moment, I was super fired up. So I know the generic talk track has been that we were not getting enough pressure. And that's just evident from, from the stats. However, from the stands, did you see something different? How were you looking at this? And, and do you remember that play, particularly with, with Clowney almost getting home and really causing that disruption, which was big at the time? Yeah, I, if I'm thinking about the same play, we're talking about the one where the Saints were backed up kind of in their own end zone. And Clowney uh, does the does the move inside and just slams into the guard, which uh, allows him, you know, easy access to Teddy Bridgewater. But Bridgewater able to evade the arms of Clowney ends up making the rush down the field, almost gets the first down. But but they're able to tackle uh, Bridgewater just short of the first down and, and they do have to punt. I was frustrated on that play because Clowney really had that opportunity to to get to Bridgewater and in some ways I think Clowney's fortunate because his hand was up by Bridgewater's face mask yep. and it just made it easy for Teddy to slap his hand away and and break out of the end zone because that could that had the opportunity to really be a game changer if they're able to get the safety in that position or even if they're punting out of the back of the end zone if, if Bridgewater's able to just get across the goal line so that was frustrating but Definitely uh, an in for Clowney on that particular move uh, to get to Bridgewater. I just I wish he would have got home for certain there. And, and, and it, you know, overall, too, like, yes, there, there wasn't great pressure throughout the game. And I, and I realized that. But but I was just I was excited in that specific moment that when it's like when we need to dial it up, we got there. And, and I don't think we yeah. were blitzing. I think it was just a front four thing. And Clowney just beat his dude senseless and was was in, you know, was in the backfield and in like half a second. So we want more consistency there. We obviously want more snaps and, you know, more time for Ziggy as, as he gets healthy. We want to see that coming from both sides. Uh, but, but, you know, at, at the same time, I was like, man, okay. Like when we needed it most, when we needed to make that stop, who's the dude in the backfield, it was clowning. And that's, that's what we brought him in for. So I know it's in a loss. I know, I know, I know it didn't go all break the, the right way. However, if we had won the game, I think that's a play we look back on and say, wow, that was pivotal to us getting the ball back right there. And he made a big play in the moment. So it's in a loss, but I still give the end to Clowney for making a big play when it mattered during the game. And I think you're right about not seeing a lot of pressure and they didn't blitz a lot. They only blitzed five times out of 29 dropbacks. 
And I think that was by design and knowing that Kamara is such a special talent. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater was perfect on every throw that the Seahawks made when they blitzed him. So I think they were, I think it was a smart game plan and you could hear from Pete Carroll in the press conference afterward that I think it was part of the game plan to intentionally not blitz uh, Bridgewater uh, overly in this game. I mean, you got to do it a little bit and, and they did with a five times, but when they did that, it was a quick pass and they got beat. Yeah. I mean, at, at that point too, you're, you're bringing some extra pressure. Maybe it sounds good on paper, but then when you get, if that equates to the ball getting out fast and, and most likely getting to Kamara, that's not a good, <laughs> you're not, you're not, you're not going to win that, uh, you know, that equation most often you're going to end up on, yeah. on the wrong side of that. As we saw, I mean, Kamara was, Kamara is like silky smooth and he's, he's big, he's strong. He's hard to, obviously hard to bring down. And the dude consistently goes and gets, you know, goes and gets five, six, seven more yards after contact or, or somehow evades contact that you think he's going to be shoved out of bounds. And yet he's scooting in for a touchdown. So yeah, man, Kamara, what was kind of shocking to me a little bit was Carol, Carol's recognition after the game that he's bet he's like even better in person. Like I have, (laughs) I mean, I don't have any, you know, I can't be like, Oh, well I saw him in person and I've seen him on the screen, but I know what I've been watching for three years now. And it's always like, you know, there's a reason the dude gets uh, any fantasy football draft. The dude's like either drafted first, second or third, like because he's that damn good and he gets in the end zone. So so that was a little weird for me to hear. But uh, but but then again, there were several things that, that Carol said in the postgame interview that were a little hard to, to digest. He, he didn't have his best day. So he started off the game getting hit in the face with the football. So I, I feel like we got to excuse the guy, maybe, maybe just a little bit. I, I mean, he was he's bleeding. He's got the he's got the, you know, the Marsha, Marsha, Marsha He's holding a stake on his nose and. It wasn't, it wasn't a good look for Pete. You know, he, he just, he just looked all discom looked like a boxer, really. Like it like, looked like Mickey is what he looked like. He looked like uh <laughs> no, he just looked like a trainer. He looked like an old, an old, an old trainer. He did. Yeah. Which is kind of, there's no chickens running around and he wasn't cursing at, at, at Italian people, but, but it was uh but it, but it wasn't a good look. All right, Brandon, back over to the non fun side of the ledger here, the dark side, if you will, the outside. All right. This player for me, I like, I like him. I like the player. I like what I saw last year. I still like what I'm seeing this year. However, just to lay it out there pretty simply, I thought Trey Flowers got exposed a bit in this game. I thought Flowers did, you know, if, if you're looking at like Flowers versus Griffin on the other side of it, it's like, I felt like when the ball was going to Griffin, he was either making plays or they were just not throwing to Griffin's side. So Maybe it's the talent that was over there. Maybe it's just the fact that Griffin was, you know, was covering his players more effectively. But the other side of that is I think Flowers was getting exposed by, I, I would say, very good route running. You know, nice. And Michael Thomas is, you know, he leads the league in, in receptions year in, year out for a reason. But um, it felt to me like Bridgewater found something he, he could pick on and he did it over and over and over again really successfully. How did it look to you? Trey Flowers, it's it's kind of feeling like he's having the Shaquille Griffin second year uh, over on that side, and and maybe that's something we should have anticipated. It, it's not like he's having, I don't think, a terrible year. It's just no. that uh, it feels like Shaquille's improved back to maybe the the form that we saw two years ago, and now it's kind of an easy target for to go at Trey Flowers and. And maybe that's just what the teams are picking up on. And so I I don't know how the Seahawks go about this going forward, apart from, you know, maybe trading for Jalen Ramsey. (laughs) Yeah, but potentially. And, and, you know, Flowers, 
it's not like he's not he's not getting burnt deep. He's not like there's no there's nobody like, you know, running 72 yards wild against him down on a go route down the sidelines. A lot of it for me is um, specifically in this game. There were a lot of like, you know, intermediary and check down routes and uh, and really like comebacks and button hooks and things of that nature. Just, you know, sprint 10 yards, come back to the ball two yards where he wasn't very close on a lot of those. And I could get it. It's it was wet out there. It's not great conditions. And he's going against some some really good polished route runners. But there was uh, to me so much cushion. It just seemed like any time that Bridgewater needed like a valve to open up and go to, it's like he could go to that seven yard, eight yard comeback. And it was there over and over and over and over. And it just didn't feel like flowers ever adjusted or ever even took a chance at one where, you know, maybe he takes a chance, dives at one and then the dude's burning him down the sideline. Then, then I'm, then I'm pointing it out for a different reason. He kept everything really in front of him, which is commendable, but I didn't think he was close and they just exposed that. And that, that part was a bit frustrating for me. I'm sure it's not the easiest thing to cover. I know it's raining out there and obviously it was a slick field for, for some, some of the players, but, uh, but yeah, I just thought the flowers was not as sharp as we had seen him previously. And then when you're comparing it to, to, uh, uh, Shaquille, um, Shaquille was the same type of plays was like all over his dudes. Bridgewater would try to come back to that. And Shaquille's like over his shoulder, swatting it down. So I felt like Shaquille was like just over, you know, I felt Shaquille was like really sticking with his dudes um, uh, just more effectively and, and, and flowers wasn't. So I don't know how, how you potentially fix that thing, but overall I just expect a bit more from flowers. Look for the Seahawks to maybe either start giving flowers a little bit more help. He definitely had the tougher draw this week with Michael Thomas primarily staying on that side. It was like the saints just lined up Ted Ginn jr. On Shaq Griffin and said, okay, uh, we'll we'll allow Griffin to take Ginn out of it, and and we'll just go to Thomas when necessary. There's no doubt he got the short end of the stick, you know, having to cover Thomas. And again, there's there's a reason the dude leads the league, you know, year in year out in reception. So maybe it's just a hat tip to Thomas, and we move on. And then when Flowers is against less, you know, less talented people, uh, he'll he'll be just fine. But love to see the second year man step up and be able to cover some of these some of these elite wide receivers. But with that, Brendan. What do you say we take a a small break? All right, Flock, welcome back. And we're going to dive right back into one of the one of the fun ends of the game. I know the first one I talked about, like ended up not mattering all that much. Clowney getting that pressure on on a big third down. And in the grand scheme of things, maybe these don't matter that much either. However, however, I like to look at these kind of plays and really, really call them out. So for me. There was that that goal that almost that almost goal line stance we had in the third quarter, right? Where they had second and goal, and then they had third and goal. And on back to back plays, you had Wagner making a beautiful stuff, and on the next play, Puna Ford making another gorgeous, beautiful stuff. So on second and third down, they don't get in. And again, I realize how the drive results and how it ends. And, and Brandon, I'm sure you can recap that for everybody there. But just again, in the moment, like looking at those those two plays back to back. I was, you know, I was a so encouraged and fired up, but I'm also like, man, we didn't give this damn game away. They're actually not doing all that much besides these short little things. They're not running the ball that well. And we were, and we were, you know, definitely playing, playing some pretty good football. I just love those back-to-back plays by Wagner and Ford. And it just, at least as a Seahawks fan overall, when I'm like, Hey, Ziggy's going to get healthier. Clowney's going to do his thing. We have amazing backs. Ford's coming back from the calf injury. And then we got Reed coming back in a matter of weeks. 
I'm just firing myself up for what's going to be, I think, a really remarkable second half of the season when that front seven's like full Voltron style. So, Brandon, I'll kick it to you. What would you think of those plays? I would I definitely agree. Bobby Wagner, give him the full in on this one. And <laughs> you, know, you can go back to the first down play. It was him and Shaquille Griffin that stopped Alvin Kamara to, from keeping him from getting in the end zone, stopping him at the one yard line. And then it was Bobby teaming up with Al Woods. Uh, yep. Give some credit to him uh, for making that stop up the middle, too. And then again, Bobby Wagner. And I think Pooner was in there, too, like you mentioned, and Bridgewater going up the middle and not able to to get in the end zone. So yeah, three straight plays and keeping them out. They have to go for it on fourth down. If they're not able to get in on that last fourth and one, you know, who knows how this game turns out. And uh, Bobby Wagner, uh, definitely liking what we're seeing from the middle linebacker in this game. Yeah. And it reminds me too, very quickly of that, that little picket fence play they, they were, they ran a couple times where they scored that touchdown at fourth and one. So, I mean, let me just, let me ask you, all right, you have a wide receiver doing a little screen you got other wide receivers who are engaging blocks before Bridgewater even throws the ball. Like, is that not P.I.? Is that not some form of interference? It's not as long as they are blocking within. They, they are allowed to block as long as they're within one yard of the line of scrimmage. So if you're, you're fourth and one, your receivers can go up and start blocking standing on the goal line, but they can't go beyond that. And, and they can still be within the rules. Well, then that's the best damn play call I've ever seen in my life. Holy, <laughs> holy Hannah, what a play call there. Because I'm sitting there going hey, we're like. we're playing Sean Payton. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah, the, the magic man himself there. Okay. All right. That's, you know what? I'm just glad I got educated so I can stop yelling about that to myself. So appreciate that. All right, Brandon, back on over to the last out. We had touched on this earlier. This one, I've got a, and by the way, I've got like four or five that I feel like I could go to here. But it, it, the, the outside of the ledger was was bleeding a little bit in this game. I had like multiple pages going on. I almost ran out of ink. It wasn't great. But the one that I think just has to stand out, and I don't know if this is on Russ, and I don't know if it's the play call. So maybe maybe you maybe you heard some things about this that I haven't heard yet. But I got to go back. We mentioned it earlier. But that fourth and one, that fourth and one go route to uh, to Malik Turner. I, I just I can't get around it. I can't not hate it. When there's so many other things you could be doing, so many other playmakers you can try to get the ball to, you know, could it be a jet sweep? Could it just be a little in? Could it be the locket? Could it be the DK? Could it be a keeper from Russ? I know we tried Carson, but could we try Carson again there? The part that really irritates me, and maybe this is why I'm on this more kick, is that I think it goes back to that Carolina game last year where we had that same damn fourth and one. But in that time, Russ went deep. And more caught that touchdown. I think it could just gave this illusion that on all fourth and ones, you could run go routes and Russ is so damn good <laughs> that we're always going to make fourth and one, you know, low probability things come to life, which happens a lot with Russ, but it didn't this time. And I really thought that was a huge turning point. One of the reasons we lost and just a bad, bad play call. But I don't know if you have more insight into how that came to be, if anything was changed or not. I don't know who to give the out to on that particular play. Do you give it to Pete Carroll for calling a fourth and one play when you're backed up on your side of the field? And, you know, if they punt there, I think they have an opportunity still to get the ball with time back because that allowed the Saints to score on a short field and to take five minutes off the clock. So do you give the out to Pete Carroll? Do you give it to Malik Turner? Because he beat his man and Russell Wilson was thrown to the open spot. 
did Malik Turner expect the ball over his right shoulder instead of his left shoulder and just turn the wrong way because it looked like he got confused as to where the ball was going to be? Or, you know, was it Russ throwing to the wrong spot? If I had to pick between Malik Turner looking over the wrong shoulder and Russell Wilson throwing to the wrong spot, I'm probably leaning toward Malik being the one at fault in this particular situation, but that had the opportunity to be a big play, and we're not talking about it as an out if the the Seahawks make the play there. Uh, Lots of ways to go. I'll I'll defer to you uh, as to which one of those three you ultimately (laughs) want to give the out to. I'm going to give the out to the play caller, whoever that might have been. If that, and if Russ had changed it to that, then then it's on Russ. Or if it, that was just what Shadi had called, then to me it's on Shadi. I'm okay with going for it. I know that's a high, obviously high risk, but at some point you've got to be able to get a yard. You know, I know we failed with that a couple of times this game. You've got to be able to get a yard at home. I know you're on the wrong side of the field there, but but man, damn it, do something else. Get get the ball into Lockett's hand. Get something sure out there and go get that yard. Didn't happen, so. Whoever, whoever called that play, it's the, the anti-Payton. Whoever called that, they're getting the out. So on over to the final in. Always kind of stinks if we're ending with an in because that means we did not win. But at least we get this, this joy of, of ending with an in. So let's do it. So for me, Brandon, the big thing here that I thought was really kind of really kind of cool. And unfortunately, we didn't take full advantage of it. I think because of some of the, the slipping we saw from Carson earlier and the fumble. I thought the run blocking specifically earlier in the game was actually freaking awesome. The run blocking was, was creating some gigantic holes on the left side. And even on the right side, the right on the play that he fumbled, Carson scoots up the right side, burst through not a gigantic hole, but a good hole. And he goes for whatever that was 30 some odd yards before the ball just gets punched out as he's about to go down. That sucked. But you know, earlier when he had the slips near, near the goal line, there were a couple of plays where, Man, oh man, when they showed the kind of the all the tight all 22 angle, there were a couple of times where Carson slipped where there was a gaping hole there. So while that all sucks in retrospect that he was slipping or having a hard time out there, I really was encouraged by seeing those those holes open up. And I know that on a dry track and oh, I don't know, say like the desert, those are going to be big plays coming up this week. So I was fired up with the way that we were able to run block specifically in the first half. Yeah, and even looking at the pro football focus scores, you have Jermaine Effetti uh, leading the team in run blocking among offensive linemen. So good news there. Uh, you have Justin Britt, who I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that he had a high grade because I, I thought he whiffed on a mm. tackle where Carson ended up slipping. But uh, ultimately, he finishes with a, a pretty high run blocking grade as well. And DJ Fluker up in the high 60s. So uh, you have kind of that middle to the, the right side of the line, actually, the stronger run blocking part of the line, according to pro football focus in this game. And uh, so maybe that's something that now uh, the team can build upon going forward. And yeah, it led to 90 rushing yards in the first half, even with the slips. Exactly. Not a bad first half whatsoever. And I'm I'm just encouraged about what I saw there. And I think we're going to see some, some even more improved run run blocking as we head into uh, Arizona. So I am fired up about that. So for me, that was the last in. All right, Flock, now it's time for our favorite segment of three and three out. This is what we call from the flock. This is when we get some inspiration, some ins and outs from from you, the listeners, the fans, the fanatics, the Seahawkers pod ring of honor folk. I'll start off with this great tweet from J.L. Keeney Jr. He says, one thought I had was for three and three out was the presence of Russell Wilson in the pocket. So I think I think he's making a great point. I didn't think the pass pro was like, I know there was no sacks. 
I didn't think the pass pro was like amazing. I thought it was pretty good, but I thought Russell was more elusive than almost like ever inside the pocket and not doing these things where he's sprinting 15 yards back, but doing little sidesteps and little maneuvers and moving up in the pocket to find, to find an alley to throw the ball. So I think that's a great in from JL Keeney Jr. on Twitter. Appreciate that. Moving over to the outs. And I don't know if, if I saw anybody bring any of these outs. Uh, so I'm just going to throw it in for myself. <laughs> and, and that's the first series for the Seahawks. Ugh. And I could give an out to three different guys. I could give it to Will Disley for the block in the back on the first play. I could give it to Ben Burkirvan for the pre-snap penalty uh, right before the, the punt. Or I could give it to our fullback, Nick Ballore, who... You know, he's only on this team to play special teams, apparently. He was the first guy there in punt coverage, doesn't lay a hand on the punt returner, and they end up scoring a touchdown. So, yeah, I'm kind of leaning Nick Ballore because I know of your dislike for fullbacks, Clinton. And so let's let's give it to Ballore. You can find other dudes to play special teams. He's out. I like I, I like that one, unfortunately. And that was my first drive was on the on the rights uh, on the bad side of the ledger, too. I just didn't go there, but, but for me, same thing. I was like this, it was a disaster. And then, and then that offsides and then the bad punt and then, then, then the terrible coverage, it was just, it was rubbish from, from jump street for us, which didn't set up. It was like the football to the face was, was like the football to the groin. Right. And, and and it was already, we knew it was going to be a bad day. And then that just did that, that cemented that we were going down a bad path. All right, Flock got a few more ins here. Tim Moon had a little trifecta overture here. He came out with this simple In one, Wilson was spectacular. Two, offensive line pass blocking. And three, Will Disley is back and is in the full. I like it, Tim. Good job. Concise, on point. And then, of course, we got Keith Kettower, a.k.a. Flocktimus Prime. He says, in KJ Wright, from what I could see through my rain-soaked poncho, was balling out. Keith, I agree. That dude had some major moments and played some pretty good football. Good call. Michael Paul came in with a real simple in for ProSize, basically saying, like, you know, he didn't break. <laughs> it was raining and he didn't like melt away like a graham cracker. He stayed in one piece, which is nice. So, Michael Paul, you know, that's an in. We like it. And Brandon, I know you've been handling the outs for this little back and forth here, but I do want to say, uh, Lisa, you know, we got we got Lisa Carlson. She gave a big out to the the DJ at the clink saying, you know, playing some lame country songs really killed the mojo at the clink. And then there was this big discussion on, you know, whether people like like country or not. It was actually quite funny. But but Lisa calling out the DJ saying, you know, leave the country music at home. Just don't be playing at the clink. Play something that gets people a little more fired up. And Lisa, I happen to agree. Finally, I'll end with uh, Dave Bloomquist, Hong Kong Hawk, A.K. Bloomy, the man. He's like the master of disaster with all these nicknames already. But Hong Kong Hawk came in and said the ends were the overhang, keeping everybody dry because they, they were at the game with the flock, which is amazing. Another end was he really liked the Saints' gorgeous, crisp white uniforms. I guess that's an end. I mean, you're in the stands. They're looking good to you, Dave. And hey, you know, you do you. But here's one, actually, that was something about the Seahawks. And he says that, you know, Russell's elusiveness really prevented quite a number of sacks. We talked about that earlier, and I agree. I thought Russ was magnificent in the pocket, super elusive, little sidesteps, little maneuvers to to get into you know areas and then make throws or run with the ball. So I agree with that one, Bloomy. Good call. All right, Flock, we head into Arizona at 2-1 and one and all is not lost. Let's just do what we got to go do. Go into the desert and get out of there with a W. So, Brandon, I think there's only one thing left to say. Go Hawks.
Go Hawks! 